Good morning, Maplecrest. Just so you know, uh, you can go online to actually hear these talks. Everybody listening online already knows that. But um, you can go online. It's just on the home page, and we put up kind of re the recent sermon. So if you missed the talk, if you're away, or if you're volunteering for us in some way and you can't be up here or out here, um, then you can just go to the website, and it's very easy. You just click play, and you can hear what we're talking about. Yeah, but there's only one. So if you, if you wait a week, you're going to miss it. Uh, you have to kind of listen to it within the week. Otherwise, the next week goes on. And we don't have a, a bank of, of sermons at this point. We might one day, but uh, we're too young still. I don't want to have like three sermons up there anyway. So yeah, so we have, uh, we'll have those there. And today's talk is a little bit kind of getting ready for next week's uh, meeting which I'm kind of prepared for, but not like totally prepared for. So I'm glad it's next week and I have a week to think about it. Uh, but these were kind of my thoughts, and, and I think I've said this before. I, I'm too busy to have some thoughts and not preach them. Like I, I can't have two sets of thoughts in a week. So I have a set of thoughts, and that's what you hear, because uh, I don't have time for two. So uh, you kind of, so just keep that in mind as we're, as we're going through today. Uh, so today's talk is about spiritual gifts and developing your spiritual gifts. And... When I think about kind of spiritual gifts, I often think about like um, street ministry. I don't know, that's just where my mind goes. I think about, I used to think about uh, actually being in a hut in Africa, but then I went on missions. So you always think about the thing you haven't done. So I now think about like street ministry. That's, that's real ministry. And so I think about Thursday nights with H2O out on the streets of Winnipeg, Portage Avenue, and kind of what Zion is doing there which I love and is great, and they connect with us at Spirit Room, and that's just amazing. And I've often had this intention of going out there on Thursday nights, and I've actually never made it out. I'm sorry to say I have never been on the streets uh, kind of doing ministry like that. Now, I did in the past kind of have some encounters at Tim Hortons and things. We would sit there anyway, but I'm not going to talk about that today So because uh, it's kind of embarrassing. But, the, uh, but anyway, this is kind of the thing. You know, it's the thing you've never done. Uh, and then I realized uh, that, you know, I, I have like a full day of clients ahead of me. All these appointments, people coming to talk to me, uh, thinking that I'm really something for them, you know. And, uh, and I was like, I could, I could pray for these people. People have actually suggested this. Oh, do you pray for your clients? And it's like, I kind of sheepishly say, not really. I'm, I'm really busy. You know, I, I, I have barely enough time to do the things that they're expecting me to do for them, never mind the things that they're not even aware that I'm doing for them. And uh, so I had all these excuses and things like this. And even when I try to pray, I forget. Um, but enough excuses, right? I, so I, because I, I really felt the spirit. This wasn't somebody asking me about it this week. I, I felt it. I was just like, wow. And uh, so I got up in the morning. And it was another great day in my office. And I was really spiritually soft. And I had this first client. Now, this is inspired by true events. This is not what actually happened. But uh, it's inspired by what happened that day. I have to say that every time. If I forget to say it, forgive me, but that is my, how I operate. So the client sitting across from me was an older woman. And she was experiencing chronic pain. Uh, we treat chronic pain uh, as a psychologist. That might be confusing to some. Uh, sometimes confusing to me, but we can be helpful sometimes to help people with chronic pain. And she was also a client. Not only did she have chronic pain, but one of the other things that kind of typified her was that she would repeat her stories. Now, we have clients who repeat their stories in, in psychology offices, uh, and I find it's a little bit more common amongst those with chronic pain. When you have chronic pain, 
the chronic pain doesn't normally change. And so you come in, and I hear again about the chronic pain that I heard about last time, and kind of how it hasn't changed, or how it has changed, or, uh, or the effects of that. And, and some, so chronic pain is generally this thing, and you're fixated on the pain, and so it can become somewhat repetitive in the session. And she was you know, pretty good at being repetitive on top of the regular level of repetitiveness that comes with chronic pain. She was quite skilled at it. And, um, and this can be challenging as a therapist. Um, for me personally, I think it's challenging for any therapist. Uh, but for me, I, if there was a therapist that was like an adrenaline junkie, I'm probably that therapist. Uh, I don't know if you can consider yourself a psychologist and an adrenaline junkie, but they just, I mean, I'm not, you know, doing mountain climbing or anything like that. But uh, I remember back when I was in training, my favorite practicum was abusive couples. And abusive couples, if there was ever like an adrenaline rush, you know, uh, in therapy, it's uh, abusive couples. You get them together in a session. And they just, they forget you're there, you know, like, it's just mayhem often. We were doing, and it was, a, it was a full clinic. It was a clinic just for abusive couples. You know, normally they would even say you're not supposed to do therapy with abusive couples because they just kind of are abusive in front of you. But, you know, we, I, so you have to have a partner. In this clinic, we had a partner, I, and it had to be opposite gender, so I had a, a female co-therapist. And, and what we would do is we would, we would meet, and if they would explode, and then we would pull them apart separately. And it was amazing what it would do. I'm kind of going off track here, but it was amazing what it would do. The, uh, they would sit there and they would be like red in the face, yelling at each other. We'd separate them and they'd just be calm as kittens. It was amazing how they would just explode at each other. But anyway, that was my adrenaline rush, uh, you know, when I was, uh, and, and so here I was and I was sitting with this, you know, this older lady with chronic pain and she was repeating her stories. And one of the things about repetitive stories in session is that it does give you time to think a little bit. You know, like it gives you some time to think about you know, what you're going to do with the client and, and you can come up with better conceptualizations and you can have talks with yourself about how you're going to handle the repetitiveness and um, when, when to intervene, when to let them process, when it's helpful, when it's not. Um, and so today, because this was my intention, I had time to pray. I had time to pray for my client because they were in their story. And uh, I knew where it was going. So uh, I started to pray. And I, I, know I went with the prayer of, you know, uh, Lord, what are you doing? You know, because that's what Jesus prayed, right? So I was like, okay, so let's go with that one. I'm going to say, Lord, what are you doing? And so uh, I prayed, and then I, I got this impression. Uh, actually, before I get into the impression, uh, they actually did talk a little bit. I want to be honest to the story. So she did talk a little bit about her spirituality. Uh, she talked a little, but she veered off. And that's not uncommon. I have clients who come in regularly who will touch on spiritual themes of various types and then veer off. So it wasn't that unusual. Um, it was even a little bit part of her regular script. And so then I got this impression. And my impression was of this cave, this stone cave in a, in a wall of some kind. And this green smoke coming out of the cave, this green, toxic, odorous smelly stuff coming out and so it wasn't very uh very positive and then I got this impression like you're not going to change her you know it's over she's stuck not very encouraging start uh so nothing can be changed I was discouraged in that moment as I listened to the same story it didn't seem to help at all and then they actually started talking about how they were stuck uh, in life and how they couldn't make any changes I thought that was a little bit interesting, and, and I repeated it back to them because I was in empathy mode, so I was just kind of t 
telling him I was listening, you know, okay, so you're stuck. And then they talked about how they had visited a psychic in their, as part of their journey. And I was like, oh, so you are stuck. And you, saw, you visit a psychic. And I was thinking about my image here. And I was like, it's a stone cave and it's stuck. It's solid rock. And there's this odor coming out of it, right? I was like, oh, okay, Lord, thank you. And then I said, you know what, I'm not going to take this stuck business. And I said, you know, so I started to intercede. I started to say, you know, Lord, unstick. You know, or I don't know what I said, but something like that. You know, I was like, Lord, make a difference. Uh, and, it, and it wasn't making a difference. And, and the session continued. And I, and I continued to intercede because I had lots of time. And uh, then I saw a key, which was very interesting. I was still looking at this cave, and I saw this key. And I was like, hey, okay, give me the key. I want the key, right? So I started to, I don't know how, much, how demanding I was, but I was you know, sit, telling the Lord, give me the key. And I felt like I was given the key. I was like, oh, this is positive. This is all impressions. Felt like I was given the key. And then... I started to open things. There was no door in the picture. It wasn't that specific. I don't know if the, what kind of imagination the Lord has to work with in me, but I, maybe my imagination isn't quite enough you know, for the Lord to you know, manipulate it. But anyway, I didn't see a door, but I did imagine myself, okay, I was given the key. I felt like I was given the key, and I started to open things. I was just like turning the key you know, in the direction of the cave, and, and that felt like you know, powerful enough. Well, I didn't know if it was powerful enough. And then it was interesting, because I wasn't saying any of this, right? This client was just going on with their story, stories. And then the story started to change, right when I turned, started turning the key. It wasn't a very long time. It was only a couple, I don't know, 30 seconds or something, or maybe less. And I was turning this key, and then I started to notice. It was actually, I was like noticing that the script started to change. She started talking about wanting to feel peace. And she started to talk about how she didn't want the church she didn't like the church, but she still respected Jesus. That was the first time Jesus had come up between us in that way. She said, he's a good teacher. Then they talked about how they felt bad about their life, how they were in the dark, and that they had never learned to trust. They never trusted anybody. And then how they wanted to trust again. I hadn't done anything. I just turned the key. Then she started to talk about how she, about Jesus actually not being a teacher, but being a savior. I didn't really know what to do at this point. I was like, I didn't want to influence her, right? I just wanted to like, let her be, but I felt like, well, I'm, I'm a therapist. I've got to listen to this. So I started to kind of just reflect back very carefully within the range of what she was saying. So you want, you want Jesus to be, or you, you feel like Jesus is a savior. And how she wanted to know Jesus more. So in the end, I wrapped it up and I said, so you haven't been able to trust and you want to be able to trust more. And you want to know Jesus more as a savior. And maybe if you can trust more, maybe you can learn to trust him. And that was it. She agreed. And that was our session. She didn't know I was praying. I hadn't done anything. 
anything more than what I would normally do with somebody who was saying those things in a session. There was not even, like, this was like counseling 101. There was nothing fancy in my intervention. And I certainly hadn't walked in there thinking that somebody was going to be going in that direction that day. In fact, I don't know if I've ever experienced anything like that in a session before. I've had, you know, spiritual conversations, but I've never had it happen like that. I've just never had it happen like that. I don't know if I've ever had anybody kind of come to that kind of decision in a session. I've been doing this a little bit of a time now, you know, 30 sessions a week, many years, you know, like it's, there's been opportunity. The first point I want to make today is that we want to seek healing, but we need to ask for healing or seek healing in the context of love. I believe that we can actually make healing into an idol. And I believe that that can be really dangerous. I'm going to talk first about the uh, Simon the Magician. Oh shoot, where is the passage here? There it is, okay, I've got it. Acts 8, Acts 8, 9, but I'm going to pick it up at 11. So Simon is there, and he's a magician. And this is talking about him. And they paid attention to him, to Simon, because for a long time he had amazed them with magic. And when they believed, Philip, as he preached good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued with Philip. Seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. I'm going to skip a little bit more down to verse 18. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, so basically Simon was prayed for, accepted Jesus, and then he saw the apostles come down, and he saw the Spirit being given, and he said, Now when Simon had saw the Spirit being given through the laying on of hands of the apostles' hands, he offered them money. And he said, Give me this power also. Not the power to heal or the power of the Spirit, but the power, I'm adding that part, so that anyone whom I lay my hands on may receive the Holy Spirit. So he wanted to have the power of an apostle. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. Simon wanted the power to give the Holy Spirit. He wanted more spiritual authority. Unfortunately, or fortunately, maybe. You can't purchase spiritual authority. It's a gift. Now, commentators talk about uh, Simon's ego. And maybe that's true. Um, he had received a lot of attention before for his power. But I kind of go a little bit more with, like, he was baptized. It says he was baptized. It said he believed. If we believe the scripture. He believed. I, and I would just, if you take that at face value... He was sincere. He even gave up his life as a magician and followed Philip. And he was amazed by what he saw. However, he thought that he could purchase power. Receiving a spiritual gift is not about doing something specific. It's not about giving something away or using your power in a certain way. It certainly isn't about giving a preacher money. If you hear a preacher say, if you give me money, you will receive power. Think about this passage. Peter is saying the exact opposite of that. 
Peter is not saying, if you give me money, you'll get power. In fact, he's saying, I can't believe, he's saying it stronger than that, I can't believe you thought you could buy this. I can't believe you thought that by giving money, you would receive power. Now, I think there's many people who give under these circumstances, and I don't know, I don't think that the curse that Simon received applies to everybody who's given under those circumstances, because I think we all give with different spirits and the Lord deals with us each differently. And I think that there could be a very sincere heart for that. But I think that we do need to see the caution that healing can become an idol if we take it away from relationship with God. Healing happens in relationship. Spiritual gifts are not for sale. We need to seek the gifts within a context. Now, what I don't want you to hear is that we shouldn't seek the spiritual gifts. And I don't think that by talking to you guys, I'm going to get that message across because I think that you know better. But I want to be careful and just say that, that I'm not saying, and I don't want to discourage anybody from seeking the spiritual gifts. In fact, we're commanded to pursue the gifts. But God cannot be purchased. We need to have a relationship. Even the laying on of hands to give the spiritual gifts is a relationship. It's a relationship between you and the person who's laying hands on you. It's a relationship between the persons who's laying hands and them and God. And it's a relationship between you and God as you receive the gift. It's all happening in relationship. You're not purchasing it. Even if there is something that is happening, a behavior that you have to do, an act that you have to do in order to, to actually activate it. In 1 Corinthians 14, 1 and, uh, yeah, 14... One and two, yeah. It says, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Let's look at those two. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. So pursue love. Deoko. Deoko, I think, is the Greek word. Forgive me if I pronounce that wrong. And it means to press on. To run swiftly to reach a goal. Pursue love. And then earnestly desire. Now, when I was looking this up, I was looking for a difference. Like, what is the difference between pursue love and earnestly desire gifts? That might preach well. So I looked it up. Earnestly desire is zeolo? Zeoa. What? Come on, help me out. Zeloa. Zeloa? I'm not very good with the phonetic thing here. Zeolo. And it means to desire earnestly, to pursue. To desire one earnestly, to strive after, busy oneself about him or the the goal. Now, when I read those and I was looking at them carefully, it felt more like he was just giving different words for the same thing. Pursue love, earnestly desire spiritual gifts. Go after both. Now, but the point I want to make here, and I'm going to make it again here, uh, it talks... It talks about tongues right after that, and it says, be careful about using tongues. Basically, it's saying, be careful about using tongues in church because we want to profit each other by what we're doing. Now, and then he says, now, I speak in tongues more than any of you, and I thank God for that. But when you're with each other, do things that profit each other. Again, he's talking about context. So he's like, pursue love, pursue the spiritual gifts, pursue tongues, but be careful when you're with each other. He's basically saying... Pursue the spiritual gifts, pursue tongues, but think about where you are. Think about what you're doing. Think about the context. Are you pursuing love? 
Are you profiting each other? Speak in tongues, but think about who you're with. It's not just about the spiritual gift. It's about what's going on with that spiritual gift. Is it in isolation? Are you just purchasing it like it's just nothing? Are you, are you pursuing this without a relationship? Or are you pursuing it with the mind of what's going on around you? With the relationships that are going on around you? Are you going up on stage and just speaking in tongues for an hour and nobody understanding you and, and everybody's kind of falling out of love with church? because they have to listen to somebody speak in tongues with no interpretation. That's not very loving. We have to think about the context. I don't think it's a coincidence that he says pursue love and pursue the spiritual gifts. They come together. And I believe actually love comes first. Now there are some paradoxes in psychology. Now I like the paradoxes in psychology because they are usually where psychologists are the most helpful. And this is where what you think is going to help isn't actually helping or is potentially even making it worse. I'll give you two examples. One is when you reassure your children. So your child comes to you and says, Daddy, are you going to die? Now the impulse is to say, no, Daddy's not going to die. You're fine. We reassure our children, right? Now if your child is sensitive to anxiety, so this might not happen with all children, but if your child is sensitive to anxiety, is prone to anxiety, has a genetic propensity to being good at anxiety. And you tell them that and give them reassurance, you might actually make their anxiety worse. It's a little bit complicated, but if you reassure them, you're helping them to get away from their anxiety. And people who have anxiety love to get away from their anxiety. So they'll ask for reassurance. Are you sure, Daddy? Are you sure? If you think about obsessive compulsive disorder, which is a type of anxiety, what are you doing when you check the knob? When you check the dial on the stove, make sure it's locked, make sure it's off, you're actually getting reassurance. And you do it again, and you do it again, because it works for a little while. But it makes you addicted to the reassurance, because it helps to lower the pain of the anxiety. And actually, to get over anxiety, you need to face the fear. So when my kids ask me, Daddy, are you going to die? I say, yes. <laughs> yes, I am. Let's learn to tolerate that. We'll tolerate it together. Daddy's going to die. <laughs> For those of you who are listening, please take this advice in the context. If you need to talk about it more, you can give me a call. Because <laughs> I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm saying. Please don't misunderstand. But anyway, we want to tell the truth. We want to tell the truth. We want to tell the truth in love. So when my kids say, Daddy, are you going to die? I say, yes. I tell them the truth. Give them a hug. I'm with them. They ask me what would happen. I say, Mommy would take care of you. What well, if she dies? Well, then there's other people. What if everybody dies? Then you're in trouble. And I give them another hug. <laughs> okay, one of the most important paradoxes, another paradox, a more important one for what I'm talking about, is the paradox of happiness. If you pursue happiness... Directly, normally people will pursue comfort, and comfort, unfortunately, produces emptiness and loneliness and depression. So the paradox is that when I'm talking to people who are unhappy, I'm actually often, and this is particularly true for chronic pain, which is what I was talking about before, I'm actually talking to them about how they need to increase the pain in their life. They actually need to increase the suffering in their life if they're going to be okay. They're too comfortable. It's not true for everybody, but it's true for many who are depressed. 
If you want to be content, you need a purpose. And unfortunately, to get a purpose, that means you need to serve something larger than yourself. And if you want to serve something larger than yourself, that means you have to suffer for it. I suffered for you today. I came in early. I helped get this all ready. I spent the week getting the sermon ready, even though I had other things to do. I suffered late last night for you. And you'd think that that would make me unhappy. But all that suffering actually just gives me peace inside. Gives me a purpose. But it's odd for a psych- to go to a psychologist because you're unhappy and they say, you need to suffer more. You need to increase the amount of pain in your life. The right kind of pain. But yes, increasing pain. Let's play the, uh, the clip, if we've got it. I've got a clip for you. don't normally do clips, but I thought I'd do a clip today. It's up by Heidi Baker, talking about the context of healing. So that clip was about how we need to do healing in a context and how we need to pursue healing but we also need to pursue love and not forget about the person, not leave the person behind. It's a paradox. If you pursue healing only, just like happiness, it will run from you. We need to pursue it in a context. Heidi Baker says she pursues love and God heals. Isn't that powerful? Sometimes in, we get so caught up in healing that we forget about the purpose of healing. We forget about the person we're praying for. That they're a person who has a life and that life continues after we pray. She builds homes for the people she can't heal. That God won't heal for her. She builds a home for them so that they feel loved. They're not forgotten. Seek the kingdom. This is Luke 12, 31. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. In this passage, Jesus is talking about money. Don't worry about how you're going to manage. Just step towards, your, step towards my kingdom, and it will be added to you. If you want money, if you want something to eat, you would think that you would go and seek after money, that you would go and make sure you have something to eat. But Jesus says no. It's a paradox. Don't seek after money. Seek after my kingdom and I don't give you money. I'll give you the money to do what I told you to do. Don't seek after happiness. 
Seek after his kingdom and everything will be added unto you. We are supposed to seek spiritual gifts and even spiritual gifts directly, but not out of the context of love. Okay, so I think you've got the first point, right? Healing spiritual gifts in the context of love. And I talked before in this first part about how love, the love the obvious way, like hugging people, building homes for the blind. Now I'm going to talk about the second part of the sermon, which is the less obvious forms of love. Those were the obvious forms of love. Now I'm going to talk about the less obvious forms of love. So the revelation of God's love can come in more subtle or indirect ways. There's the revelation of God's holiness. Now holiness is God's love. Miracles and spiritual gifts can be there to reveal God's judgment. Also, God's love. It can be to... Miracles can be there to lay out the timeline of God's history in the world and reveal what's coming next. It's also his love to let us know what's coming, even if it's hard. When I was praying about the sermon, I was praying, the, the question I was asking was, how do we get spiritual gifts? We just did the spirit room, and I was like, okay, how do we get spiritual gifts? Fresh eyes. How do we get these things? Open up the Bible. Let's look at all the people who had spiritual gifts. How did they get them? I opened up to Elijah. There's absolutely nothing about how Elijah got his spiritual gifts. One of the most powerful miracle workers in history, there's nothing on how he got to his gifting. He just comes on the scene. King Ahab marries Jezebel, sets up idols, angers God, and Elijah is introduced, basically declaring a drought. Now Elijah, the Tishbite from Tishba in Gilead, Gilead, said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. He's introduced through a miracle. I want you to notice, though, because this is what I started to notice as I looked at all of the biggest spiritual gift people in the Bible, was that they weren't just using spiritual gifts. They weren't just sitting there praying, saying, God, give me a spiritual gift. 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 They weren't sitting there looking at the spiritual gift and pining for it. At least it doesn't talk about it that way. What it talks about again and again is a purpose in a life or in a generation that a person recognizes and goes after. Elijah was given his power for a purpose. It was not a miracle for himself. It was to reveal God to a nation. Daniel's another one. I could pick anybody, but Daniel. I picked Daniel. He prayed to God, which was contrary to the king's orders, and he was persecuted and thrown into a lion's den. Daniel answered in Daniel 6.21, May the king live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I ever done anything wrong before you, your majesty. Daniel 6. Did he go into spiritual gifts saying, Hmm, how can I show spiritual gifts? I want to get thrown into a lion's den. I'm going to get thrown into a lion's den. I'm going to do the miracle of miracles. I'm going to get thrown into a lion's den. And then the lions are going to have their mouths shut. And then we're going to show the world that this is a miracle. No, he was actually prayed as he was supposed to pray before God, as was his routine. He didn't listen to the king's command. 
And he was thrown into the lion's den. And then God backed him up. God backed him up as he took his stand in his generation. This was another miracle that was a revelation of God to a nation. And then the thing that I realized was that miracles, at least in the Bible, and I think in people's lives, are never separated from their story. It's never just a miracle for a miracle. It's a miracle for a purpose. It's a miracle with a message. It's communicating to people's hearts. The heart of a person, the heart of a city, the heart of a nation, the heart of the world. It's, it's communicating about God. It's the context. It's love. It's communicating love. And I came to understand, as I was studying this, that the primary reason for spiritual gifts is the revelation of God. Of his character, of his purposes, of his love. It's actually for the revelation of God that we have our spiritual gifts. They're not for our entertainment. They're not for our personal whatever, our ego. They are for the communication of a purpose related to something. There's always a story. A personal story, a, a, an individual story. I don't want to say smaller and bigger because individuals are very important to God. But more isolated or more broad. They're in the context of a story. We need to learn how God wants to reveal for each of us. Now, one of the things that we can do when we read the Bible or when we see other churches and what they're doing, or when we see other churches, what they did in the past, or when we read about Revelation, about what God's saying about the future, is we can start to do those things. We can start to do those things for us. And I'm, I'm all about learning. I want to learn from other people. In fact, we want to learn from the Bible most of the time. Well, all the time. What am I saying? Okay, all the time we want to learn from the Bible. But I want to give you an example um, uh, in, from psychology. And it is my definition for what trauma is. My definition of trauma, or what it has come to become, is when you continue something you've learned even though it doesn't make sense anymore. It's kind of unfortunate learning. I'll give you an example. Let's say that you went to Iraq, and you went to war. And it wasn't just kind of a tour, it was real. Like, you were really in it. You were in some combat. And you were learning the whole time how to survive. It was an anxiety-provoking situation, so you were learning fast. And there were bullets flying past, and there were bombs going off, and you learned some skills. You learned some skills cognitively, you learned some skills emotionally. And one of the skills you learned was that you got a duck. A bomb, you hear a loud noise, you got a duck. Hit the ground. Iraq is over. You come back to Canada. Walking through Staples parking lot. It's a crowded day. Christmas. Everybody's around, everybody's looking. Lots of people. Car drives by and bang. You hit the ground. A car backfired. And you get up. Your face is red. Filled with terror in your body. It's a symptom of trauma. Hypervigilance. You've learned something that made a lot of sense. 
Your brain wasn't not working in Iraq. In fact, it was working really well. But now, when you're in the Staples parking lot, what you learned doesn't make sense anymore. And you have to unlearn it, and it's hard to unlearn. So when somebody's doing something that they learned from somebody else that doesn't make sense in their current context, I would call that trauma, especially if it's anxiety-based. And if you go into something new and terrifying, like going into the spiritual gifts, whoo, that's terrifying. I got to pray for somebody. I'm going to do it the way they did it before. I'm not going to take, I'm going to take the risk of going into spiritual gifts, but I'm not going to be totally open to what God's doing with me right now. I'm going to copy. We want to get it right, and we're terrified that we're going to get it wrong. And when you have anxiety-based learning, you often will copy something that doesn't make sense. And God might be yelling from heaven, I got something for you. I have something for you. Listen. And you're like, but this is how they do it at that church. This is how Jesus did it. You know what Jesus did? He did something nobody ever did before. And now we do what Jesus did, which isn't what he did. He did something nobody else did before. So do we do something that nobody else did before? No, we do what Jesus did. We copy. I think that spitting on people made more sense in his context than it does on ours. They spit on people back then who were cursed. So when he was spitting on people, he was teaching them about curses. He was using curses as a blessing. Now when we spit on people, we're just spitting on them. <laughs> we're not doing anything about the story of our, of our time right now. We're not talking about the culture in Canada at all when we spit on people. We're taking something that made sense and it's not making any sense anymore because we're anxious. That's trauma. Again, it's not the classic definition of trauma. Caveat, caveat. <laughs> I'm going to come back to my initial story. When that woman came into my clinic, God was showing me how to intercede for her. I needed to learn to operate in my own purpose. I needed to learn to use the spiritual gifts in my own context. In my mind, I was copying the context of other people. I was thinking, oh, I need to do street ministry. I need to do everything I'm doing, and then I need to add somebody else's purpose into my life. And I couldn't find time because it wasn't my purpose. It was never supposed to be there. And anxiety, it's anxiety-provoking, right? So I'm learning from other people, but I'm just copying them. I'm not taking the principle. I'm just taking what they're doing, and I'm using it in my own life. And I wasn't having that miracle because I wasn't on the street, which was pretty obvious. But then when I said, Lord, what are you doing in my life? What's my purpose? And my purpose is to heal people. In my clinic, it happens every day, all day. I've got hundreds of opportunities a month to heal people in my clinic that I was ignoring to go and pray for people on the street, which I wasn't doing. And isn't it cool to have a story that's my story, that I could share that nobody else can share because it's my story? And I want to share that story not because I want you to become a psychologist and go into a therapy office because that's where the healing is happening in Winnipeg right now. I don't want you to copy me. I want you to do what I did, though, 
I want you to copy the principle. I want you to ask the Lord, what is your mission? What is your context? How are you supposed to love where you are? This isn't for people who are in Africa. It's not for people who are working on the going and doing ministry on the street. And it's not just for psychologists and psychology offices, because if only I could do that, because they have people just coming for appointments all day. That's not... The principle is you need to figure out what God is calling your, you to your mission. And when you do your mission, just like Elijah, he will back you up. He will back you up in your call. And I believe that for Maplecrest, and this is where we're coming to our meeting next week, I believe that for Maplecrest, if we follow our mission, that, we will, that God will back us up. And I don't want to wait until we're more comfortable in order to do it. I think we're comfortable enough. I don't want to wait until we're bigger. I don't want to wait until we have more money. I don't want to wait until we're in a church building where we don't have to set up. I don't want to wait until we have more staff. I want to increase the suffering in Maplecrest. I, I want to put you guys in pain in Maplecrest. I want this to be uncomfortable. So that you can be fulfilled in God's purposes. I didn't start a church first. My goal wasn't to increase my kingdom. God called me to start the spirit room because I wanted to see changing in people's lives first. And I believe that I sought his kingdom first, and what I needed was added unto me. I was seeking his kingdom first, and he knew you need a church to do what you're doing, Cyrus. You can't do this anymore on your own, in between the communities of this city. You need a church in order to reach out. So I sought his kingdom, and I believe that that scripture happened for me here. I believe that I sought his kingdom first, and everything that you need will be added unto you. I believe that God is taking us into a new time in Maplecrest. We've taken some time to set the foundations. But I think that we need to seek our purpose as a community. And I don't think it's just one purpose. I think it's a continuous journey to figure out what's the next purpose in our, in our community here. And I don't want to go out and try to kill Goliath. Because Goliath is already dead. I want, but I want to find, follow the principle. I don't want to just prove that we can do something by going and killing a straw man. I want to go out and I want to find the Goliath who's taunting God's people now. And forgive the gruesome. And I want to walk up to the Lord holding his head. Not because I'm great. It was his stone that did it. But because I believe that that's what he calls us to. To be more than conquerors. 
And we're not going to do it follow, fighting the Goliaths of yesterday or fighting the Goliaths of tomorrow. We're going to do it by identifying what the Lord is calling us to and coming out of the fear in the camp where everybody else is shaking and saying, Lord, we're going to stand up. We're going to take your sling. We killed the bear. Let's go forward and let's take new land now. Faith is risk. But it's not just the risk of taking your hand out of your pocket and putting it on a shoulder. It's the risk of doing something dangerous, potentially, in your reputation, in your society. Because you're not just doing what people have always done. You're doing something new. The primary reason for the spiritual gifts is the revelation of God and his character. Who is our Ahab? Who is our Jezebel? And what risk do we need to take? What risk do I need to take in order to say, I'm not going to let that taunt your people anymore? And I believe that if we go and we kill our Goliath, if we go and pick up our stones, the Lord will break out in signs and wonders. Not in signs and wonders that maybe people have seen before. And maybe maybe it'll be the signs and wonders that back up our risk. That back up our call. It may be signs and wonders that nobody has ever thought of or seen before because it's going to be for us. It's going to be for our mission and it's going to be to show God to the purpose that we are revealing God to. What is our mission, Maple Crest? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for what you did in my clinic this week. And just like you don't just do miracles for one out of the context of relationship, you weren't just doing that in my clinic to heal that client. You were doing it to reveal something in your relationship with me. And Lord, I pray that you would help us as a community to come together as a, under your purpose, under what you want to show our generation. And you would help us to step out in faith together. Lord, I pray that you would speak to us, speak to everybody here, either the word of what our mission is or confirmation when they hear it. Lord, I pray that you would galvanize our spirits, that you would prepare our hearts to do your work. Amen.